Welcome back to Introvert University. My name is Harrison Paul, the Introvert Philosopher, and I'm leading you on a journey of discovery in this course on the philosophy and science of introversion. As I explained in lecture one of this course, I came to this subject quite by accident. All throughout my youth, and even deep into my adulthood, I struggled to understand myself and my talents, how my mind worked, and how to fit into society. I sought for one explanation after another to understand it, but by the time I was 34, I finally reached the conclusion that I struggled with understanding myself and my place in society because I am what Carl Jung called an introvert and that it was so hard for me to figure this out because introversion is widely misunderstood even by researchers, writers, and some of the most famous and popular personality tests. So I've started this course at Introvert University to explore introversion in science, philosophy, and culture. The title of this lecture is Jung's Psychological Functions and Types. And the main takeaway is this. People are introverted and extroverted in different ways because people's minds function differently. And this affects not only how they see human existence and what they value, but also their potential social standing in a society built by and for one of these types. First, let's go through a recap from lecture one. Swiss psychotherapist Carl Jung formulated the theory of introversion and extroversion in the early 20th century. He came to his theory of types from observing how people developed different psychological problems from the same environments, and also how philosophers throughout history came to opposing conclusions, arguably because they started with different fundamental assumptions. Putting these together, he argued that due to internal differences between people, they naturally see one side of a two-sided picture of life. Jung argued that people will be naturally inclined for inborn or what we would call genetic reasons to be more drawn toward engaging with the subject of experience, the experiencing self, or the object of experience, that is, anything that the self experiences. Those more drawn toward the self or whose minds primarily turn inward, he called introverts. Those more drawn toward the world or whose minds primarily turn outward, he called extroverts although all people have tendencies in both directions. Introverts tend to prefer low-stimulation environments, and extroverts prefer a relatively higher amount of external stimulation by temperament. This type or temperament difference strongly influences someone's personality, and even affects how they fit into society. While Jung admitted introverts would struggle to fit into an extrovert-made society, current theories of oppression help us see introverts as an oppressed population, which makes it important for us to better understand who introverts really are and how we can make society more introvert-friendly. Now we come to today's topic, functions and types. For some visual reference material, let me direct you to the Introvert University page on my website, harrisonpaulauthor.weebly.com slash introvert-university.html. Uh, this should be in the podcast notes, and if the website ends up changing in the future, I'll try to update it in the notes. This links to a page with tables, or you might call them cheat sheets, that might help you visualize the material in this and the next lecture. The one pertinent to this lecture is called A Table of the Jungian Types. I've also included links to blog posts I've made with brief descriptions of each function. So if you want to pause the podcast and pull this up so you can follow along, please go ahead. One important point for today is that Jung didn't just distinguish between introverts and extroverts. 
even if being introverted versus extroverted is based on someone's sensitivity to stimulation and how comfortable you are in your mind versus in the world, there are different variations on each type attitude. In this lecture, we're going to go deeper into Jung's theories on different types of introverts and extroverts, as well as how he theorized that the mind functions. We will be primarily covering chapter 10 of Psychological Types, with some reference to chapter 11 on definitions, as well as some of his essays and speeches on types. These are included in the back of the 1971 Collected Works edition. Now, any discussion of types is incomplete without reference to the most popular system of psychological typing, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, which claims to be based on Jung's system. But I'm going to save our discussion of this to the next lecture. The main takeaway from this lecture is as follows. There are four different types of introvert and four different types of extrovert, or four different types of being introverted and being extroverted, based on which of eight mental functions a person develops early in life to navigate the human experience. Jung believed that which function you're predisposed to use is inborn. Jung's system is also not intended to be science-based, but theory-based. So while empirical evidence is always useful, Jung's system gives us a way of framing the evidence, uh, more like a scientific paradigm. This means we should judge it pragmatically on the basis of its usefulness as an organization of the facts, on how well it explains the human mind and society and helps us reach psychological wholeness. Also, while you may be able to get this information from elsewhere, my distinctive approach to introversion and types includes not only Jung's original philosophical view, but also a more contemporary social view, that based on my observations, there is one dominant type of person and way of functioning, which is privileged or favored in society, to the point that it's even assumed that if you're a human, you must function like this, while others will in some way or another feel marginalized, misunderstood, or different. Keep that in mind as we go through this, whether you resonate with this feeling of alienation uh, or whether you feel like you're the normal type of person, regardless. Studying about others can help you in your efforts to understand friends and family members who may struggle to express and understand themselves. All right, so let's get started. Type differences don't just originate in one unified trait called introversion and extroversion. Rather, this is an attitude of the mind which connects with other factors to produce someone's type. People are naturally inclined toward developing a certain way of engaging with the mind from the time of their birth. Um, I'll use an analogy to describe this. It's as if you awoke in a dark cave with no way of finding your way around except a set of tools. There are four different tools which will enhance one of your senses. Vision, hearing, tactile sensation, or tasting and smelling. Let's put those two together. Suppose that you will be best able to navigate the cave by only using one of them and becoming a master of cave exploring with that tool or sense. So you choose the one that you find most natural to use. This has important implications, not just for your journey through the cave, but because the tool you use and the sense that it enhances will be the way through which you understand what caves are, how to navigate them, and what the goals of navigating a cave are. Um, now consider that you take one tool and use it to find your way out of the cave to the surface. There you meet other people who are also cave explorers, but they have chosen a different tool to use and mastered a different sense. You can still communicate with them because all of you have gone through the same experience of going through the cave. However, their experiences will be framed differently than yours. 
Perhaps all of them chose to enhance their vision, and you chose to enhance your hearing, since your natural inclination was different. You will have a hard time expressing not only how the cave appears to you and how to navigate it, but also the purpose and meaning of navigating the cave. You may also have a hard time understanding how they see these cave-related issues and may not really connect with them. Such is the case with introverts in an extroverted society, and also the case of most types of extroverts in a world mainly shaped by one most dominant mode of being extroverted. But before we go into that, let's talk about Jung's theory of mental functions. Jung posits four mental functions based on the different ways that a person's mind can engage with experience. He admits that this is based on his personal intuitions, and so there could be other ways to describe the mind. There could even be better ways. But he has found that this is the best way to describe it. Let's note again that he's not making an empirical argument here. I have to emphasize this. He's not saying that he's dissected brains and he's seen that certain parts of the brain do different things or that the brain lights up on brain scans in a certain pattern, which tells him that there are certain mental functions. He's not a neuroscientist. Instead, he's making a philosophical argument based on how he conceptualizes the workings of his own mind and by extension, the minds of others, which he has confirmed by his interactions with them. So Jung is saying here that we can conceptualize of the human mind as functioning in four different ways and in two directions. Each of these ways he calls a psychological function, defined as, quote, a particular form of psychic activity that remains the same in principle under varying conditions. And he chooses these four functions in part because they cannot be related or reduced to one another. In other words, psychological or mental functions are particular forms of mental activity that have a distinctive way of engaging our minds. They do so in one of two directions. Each of these directions, as you can probably guess, is a type attitude, extroverted or introverted, and directs that particular kind of mental activity, either at the subject or object of experience. So this is all really abstract. Let's go into some more detail um, on Jung's four functions. So Jung's four functions are thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition. Jung claims that these four comprise all of mental activity. They establish that something exists, sensation, explain what it means, thinking, describe its value, feeling, and surmise its deeper meaning, origins, and implications, intuition. He places them neatly into complementary opposing pairs, thinking and feeling on one hand, sensation and intuition on the other hand. The first pair he calls rational or judging functions because they organize the data of experience into clear structures. In other words, uh, we can draw boundaries around the data. Jung describes it this way. Rational judgment is a force that coerces the untidiness and fortuitousness or randomness of life into a definite pattern, or at least tries to do so. For example, when we make lists of cars or red things, we're filtering out everything that isn't red or isn't a car and organizing our experiences into a structure. Or when we divide actions into categories of good and evil, we are organizing our experiences into a moral code. The second pair, Jung calls irrational or perceiving functions because they don't organize experience. Instead, they perceive everything around them without judgment or interpretation. As Jung explains, Whatever they do or do not do is based not on rational judgment, but on the sheer intensity of perception. Their perception is directed simply and solely to events as they happen, 
no selection being made by judgment. So they spontaneously engage with physical or mental events. For example, when we see a ball coming flying at us and reach out to catch it, or we move our bodies to kick the ball, we're engaging with a sense perception and reacting to it. Notice here what we're not doing. We aren't analyzing in the moment the trajectory of the ball and calculating its exact position. We're using an irrational process, or you might even call it instinctual. Likewise, when we're studying and a flash of insight comes to us, unrelated or only somewhat related to what we just read, this is our unconscious mind churning out ideas that our conscious mind perceives and reacts to. Now, what does each function involve? First, let's take the rational or judging functions. Thinking arranges ideas into a logical framework. Referencing the neuroscience research of Dario Nardi, thinking is the function that categorizes, strategizes, navigates, and creates definitions. This is usually what we talk about when we describe mental activity, because this is the dominant understanding of what it means to think in human cultures. So thinking meaning what's going on in your head, particularly Western cultures. I believe this is due to the majority and socially dominant psychological type using this as their introverted function. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. More on that later. Feeling judges whether something is good, right, valuable, or desirable. Feeling is rational on Jung's view because to feel means to judge something has value or judge that it lacks value. A strong inclination to value or devalue something indicates a judgment of feeling. So Jung would say that following your feelings means following your sense of morality or goodness rather than just following the facts. This is different than how we use the phrase following your feelings today. Now we come to the irrational or perceiving functions. Let's start with sensation. Sensation is any perception generated by the senses about something concrete that the senses can experience. Objects, bodies, uh, forces around us. So let's go back to that phrase, following your feelings. When we follow our feelings in the modern sense, we usually mean to um, follow your momentary sensations like hunger, uh, sexual attraction, or anger. When we do this, we're following how our bodies feel in the moment and letting these sensations lead us. This is why we will often say that following your feelings is dangerous and irrational because following bodily sensations is, on Jung's view, irrational. And it can get us into trouble if it's not tempered by rational judgments. But note again, these rational judgments could be judgments of thinking, judgments about facts, or feeling, judgments about values. Now let's go to the other perceiving function, intuition. Intuition describes unconscious insights about connections that our minds perceive. Uh, these are either connections between things in the world or connections between ideas in our minds. And they're about abstract and intangible concepts. So now that we have the four functions, and now that we understand the two possible type attitudes or directions that these functions can take, extroverted and introverted, we have our eight psychological functions. So let's go through what each of these eight functions does and what type or pattern of the mind it tends to produce. Before we start, let me caution you that Jung doesn't intend these portraits of people to be complete. Rather, they describe people who are using this function alone, not yet balanced by any other functions. As we'll see, people don't just use one function, just like no one is only an introvert or only an extrovert, at least no one remotely considered healthy. But for people who use these functions, here's what's going on in their minds, how they perceive the world and what they value. Remember that we're trying to find out how people primarily view human experience, 
like the person who uses one tool rather than another to enhance one of their senses to get through a dark cave. Each function is like a different sense that we develop in our mental engagement with experience, with self and world. I'm going to start with the four extroverted types, as Jung does in his book. He begins with the extroverted thinking type, or what personality books and websites abbreviate as the TE type, capital T, lowercase e. To be honest, I'm not sure where this abbreviation scheme originally came from, but it's near universal in personality sites online and in typology books that talk about the functions. For example, it's prominently featured in A.J. Drenth's website, Personality Junkie, and Dario Nardi's book, The Neuroscience of Personality. And it's so common that people use it without attribution, though it doesn't appear to come from Jung. Still, I find it pretty useful. So here's how it works. The first and capital letter indicates which function we're talking about. T for thinking, F for feeling, S for sensation, and N for intuitive. The second lowercase letter describes the direction or type attitude of the function. I for introverted and E for extroverted. Uh, That's why we use N for intuitive since I is taken by introverted. So this gives us our eight functions. On the extroverted side, we have extroverted thinking, TE, or perhaps you can think about it as uh, thinking extroverted, extroverted feeling, FE, extroverted sensation, SE, and extroverted intuition, NE. On the introverted side, we have introverted thinking, TI, or uh, thinking introverted, introverted feeling, introverted sensation, and introverted intuition, which would be FI, SI, and NI, respectively. Once again, see the table on my website for a simple reference. Hopefully that will help you as we're navigating through this. Now, people only develop one dominant function and don't develop the other seven quite as well. Although in our next lecture, we'll talk about a second function people develop and possible third and fourth ones. Uh, This means that no one is equally good at everything. Our innate talents that come from the lens or lenses through which we view the world and interact with human experience are in some important ways mutually exclusive. Uh, For example, developing as a master of logic and systems means that the complementary opposite of this, so understanding feelings, values, and people as individuals, will naturally be more difficult for you. And you probably will never be as skilled at the feeling side of life as you are at the thinking side of life, um, or as skilled at feeling abilities as your opposite type is at these feeling abilities. Uh, Likewise, your opposite type, so a feeling type, uh, may learn and master principles of logic and systems analysis just like you, but they'll always be better at feelings and weaker at logic, and probably also weaker than you at logic. Now, why do I mention this? It's because this has helped me understand why my mind works how it does, and how to tap into my talents and my distinctive way of being in the world. In addition, it's helped me feel more confident in my own way of solving problems or managing my life, even when these differ significantly from normal ways of doing things. Uh, Remember what I bring to the conversation about introversion and types. Not only the philosophical angle, but the social angle. In my belief, there is one type that is good at normal things and which is considered normal. One type of being extroverted and one type of being introverted. Anyone who doesn't function in these ways has a hard time understanding themselves or fitting in, to one extent or another, purely based on their type. So with that in mind, let's start with the extroverted thinking or TE type. 
Recall that Jung calls thinking and feeling judging or rational functions, meaning that they make judgments and organize experience into frameworks based on some criteria. Well, for TE, the criteria is outside the self. Remember, the function is extroverted and is based on, quote, objective data, external facts, or generally accepted ideas in the person's surrounding environment. Someone who uses TE as one of their tools to navigate conscious experience will be drawn to and energized by structure, order, frameworks of knowledge, and arrangements of facts, lists, and rules. Personality writer A.J. Drenth, who I referenced earlier, also associates TE with Raymond Cattell's concept of crystallized intelligence, or intelligence that is acquired through study and experience. TE essentially works by creating structures of facts and ordering and arranging them to explain the world around us. Now, let's describe how this manifests as the main function someone uses in their life. Uh, Someone who primarily uses TE, or who Jung would call a TE type, extroverted thinking type, will rely on facts around them to make decisions. A TE type will often seem rigidly by the book and will want to make decisions by plodding through a consideration of every possible angle first. They don't make decisions quickly unless the rules dictate a clear answer. TE types will often assume that their interpretation of the facts is a moral law that others need to conform to. And they can get very upset when other people don't play by the rules, such as when they try to use social connections and charm to get around agreed-upon rules. TE types are often uncomfortable with their own feelings or sensations and will try to prevent themselves from having to make decisions based on personal values or on the spur of the moment. They prefer to tell others and even tell themselves that All of their decisions are simply what the facts dictate, and they often expect others to do likewise. They can appear stodgy and formal, but they aren't doing this to one-up you or dominate you. Instead, they just like the world organized neatly into boxes, since this makes things understandable and it benefits others, and they don't like it when you disrupt their tidy structure. As a middle and high school teacher, I enjoy the few TE types I have in my classes. They almost always do their work on time, they don't disrupt class, and they follow directions. However, on the other hand, they aren't the most creative. Now, for each of the types, I want to include some fictional examples to give you an idea of what kind of person a certain type is. So for the TE type, fictional characters who exemplify them would be Ned Stark from George Martin's Song of Ice and Fire series, otherwise known as Game of Thrones, and Mr. Collins from Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Notice how someone's type gives someone... Uh, inclinations to act in a certain way on the basis of their initial direction and what interests or energizes them. For the TE type, it's objective data and structures of knowledge or the traditions of those around them. For the extroverted feeling or FE type, it's objective values. Uh, Now, what do we mean by this? FE is directed outward like TE, but the feeling function latches onto systems of values in the external environment instead of systems of facts. This means that the FE type will be drawn to strong feelings about values that the people around them affirm. Uh, Jung gives a great example here about someone who says that a painting hanging in someone's home is beautiful, not because they personally like its features, but for other reasons. It would be offensive not to call it beautiful. It would be awful to make the host feel disagreeable. And it's generally understood that paintings hung in houses are meant to be and are popularly considered beautiful. This may sound disingenuous to us, but it's completely sincere on behalf of the FE type because they honestly feel that things which others consider valuable are valuable. FE types are 
drawn toward achieving social harmony, particularly with those in their immediate environment. They aren't generally drawn toward big, dramatic efforts at justice or world peace. Those would be the SE types. Instead, this means that if an FE type is in a room with people with different views, they will try to please everyone, and sometimes at the expense of their own needs. Jung says that there are far more women of this type than men. They can be the loving, tender friends or family members who always seem to understand us, even though they don't really know how to stick up for themselves. Um, Now to my experience as a teacher. My FE-type students, in my observations, go out of their way to accommodate others' perspectives. I don't think they do this so much out of a desire to avoid offending, but because it doesn't seem to occur to them that offending people is an option. This highlights an important difference between thinking and feeling. Thinking is object-focused, while feeling is person-focused. People with different views need to be reconciled for life to make sense, because having a conflict of values is just a strange and foreign concept. FE types are warm and genuinely agree with you when you tell them your values and about your experiences, even if they will turn to someone with the opposite values and the opposite take on those same experiences the next day and genuinely agree with them. While FE can be a powerful force for social harmony, an FE type, especially an immature one, may seem to mindlessly parrot the views of those around them rather than having moral views of their own. For a fictional example, um, one of the best I can point to is um, the character Shirley Bennett from the sitcom Community. For those familiar with the show, Shirley is a devout Christian, but seems to have a hard time conceptualizing of the fact that others could have different moral views, as warm and friendly as she often is. For feeling types, respecting someone's ability to determine their values as a person is more important than conforming to some sort of moral law. The next function is extroverted sensation, or SE, the first of the perceiving functions. Recall that while judging functions arrange data from experience into frameworks of fact or value, perceiving functions take in data from experience and spontaneously react to it. SE is oriented toward the physical world and focuses on the sensations of the body. Someone using SE will foremost perceive the world in terms of sensory experiences, sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations. SE spontaneously engages with the world of physical experience and is at home doing a variety of activities. Think about these as the distinctive skills of the SE type. Those would be playing sports, uh, creating appealing visual art, composing and performing music, writing, changing one's voice tone to convey a message, debating, appreciating art, food, and massage, traveling to new places, using tools, interacting with other people, and in general, spontaneously reacting to new physical situations. SE types perceive that engaging with the world of the senses is just the way to experience life. They pursue new sensations in whatever they do, whether they be thrills on a roller coaster or the dramatic expression of their rights in a protest march. They will go from experience to experience, focusing on living in the moment and seeking the strongest stimulation, because that will be the experience of most value to them. They seek rewards of stimulation in the physical world and are often tired out by too much time in their minds. Something interesting that Jung mentions about this type is that, like the scientists of today, they will feel that their own thoughts and feelings originate from external causes rather than internal to themselves. 
giving rise to the view that the world science studies is the only real world, and the mind is just a byproduct of physical causes. Now, you don't have to take this to its logical conclusion, and most SE types won't care to do this, since they have much more interesting things to do with their time, uh, but this is where the extroverted sensing perspective naturally leads, at least where its natural inclinations will logically lead to. Physical life is real life to this type, and because mainstream society believes that science can study everything physical, this must mean science studies everything that exists. And now, if this seems to you like the normal way of experiencing human life, then you're not wrong. As I'll argue in a future lecture, I've come to believe through my research that there are more SE types of people than any other type. Probably 60% or more of people are SE types, possibly 70 to 80% of men, and almost all people who have ever held a significant amount of social power. Although note that there are two variants on the SE type, and one variant probably has not had the same privileges as the other. That's something we'll discuss in our next lecture. SE types are everywhere, and they make up essentially all of the people considered normal by society, both men and women. Because of this, it's not surprising that we consider SE the normal way of engaging with human experience. SE types can adapt to new social environments, make friends, or at least find someone to connect with in most places. They go to clubs, go dancing, travel, make money, manage people, start businesses, and raise families. They make up most people you interact with. And for me as an introvert teacher, they're the ones I have to work really hard to accommodate in my classroom. Uh, as an introvert, especially my kind of introvert, I'd like my classroom to be like a library, a calm and quiet place of learning. My lovable SE-type students, especially as young teenagers, they want competition, socializing, energy, and spontaneity. I've learned in time to accommodate their needs, as well as those of my introvert students, but it's been a difficult journey, especially before I knew that I was fundamentally different than most of my students at a psychological level. Now, you might ask, why are so many people SE-types? The best explanation I can give is evolution. Those with SE abilities have been best able to survive and reproduce in the physical and social environments humans have lived in. But that's a topic for another time. As for fictional examples, basically every protagonist you can imagine, or most of the protagonists of stories that have been told throughout history are SE types. Superheroes like Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark, action heroes like Katniss Everdeen and Han Solo, political heroes or villains like Frank Underwood and Josiah Bartlett, the serial killer of serial killers Dexter Morgan, and the famous vampire slayer Buffy Summers. And into this category, we could also add nearly every Disney princess. These are the heroic characters that society tends to admire. And so most characters in fiction will be SE types. And in fact, there are some works of fiction in which every character who has a name is an SE type. As if these SE type authors can't even imagine another way of looking at the world. And not that it's their fault, but this is why it's so important to study Jung's types. For those of you who listen to this description of the SE type and think, well, I'm good at sports or debate. I go dancing. I like traveling. After all, what kind of weird person doesn't? Oh, the introvert. Does this mean I'm a boring, common SE type extrovert? What a disappointment. I listened to this podcast because I thought I was an introvert a deep, misunderstood thinker, and I wanted to discover something new about myself. Before you stop listening, here are some things to consider. First, 
Everyone is an individual with a unique personality, and everyone has something important to offer the world, as well as a journey of self-discovery to undertake. There's no such thing as a boring or common type of person, and someone who thinks that about you really does misunderstand you. Second, in my experience, a lot of people who resonate with the description of being an introvert are actually SE types who feel the pull of their introverted side and want to develop it, perhaps because they may never have been encouraged to do so. Keep listening to the podcast, and you can find out more about this mysterious side of yourself and develop your true talents to reach psychological wholeness. Also, even if your type is the one that's most largely represented in society, this podcast should be exhilarating. You get to see from seven other perspectives that may be right in front of you without you knowing it, including among your friends and family. You can learn so much about being human that was previously hidden from you. And the more you understand about them, the better you'll be able to help shape the world, to appreciate them, and help them appreciate who they are. The same is true for all of us. Learning about types has helped me appreciate my own talents, as well as those of people I used to think of as just boring or rude or annoying. I've learned to see the world from different fundamental perspectives. As I've opened up my mind, I've been able to understand the diverse human family better. And now we come to the last extroverted function. Extroverted intuition, or NE, engages with objects of the physical world just like SE. But whereas SE seeks the strongest stimulation and immediate sensations, NE seeks the strongest perception of possibilities, or to see all the possibilities in our environment. Sensations are only starting points for NE to find parallels, connections, and ideas. Jung says that the NE type is never to be found in the world of accepted reality values, but has a keen nose for anything new and in the making. The NE type expresses themselves without a filter for presenting a polished product, but just says what spontaneously comes to mind as they sense new possibilities. If you've ever heard someone who seems to be rambling on about ideas in a free-flowing, associative sort of way, then you may have met an NE type. They are seen as quirky, weird, and embarrassing in most of society. But as a teacher, I love my any types, even if I often can't understand them, because they are such founts of creative energy. Even if I don't know where this energy is being directed, and even if it ends up producing nothing material at all, I appreciate that they are weird and different, because I myself, even though I've learned to present myself in the conventional fashion, wish that I could be a little more honestly eccentric like them. As for fictional examples, I point to Doc Emmett Brown from the Back to the Future series. So next, we turn to the introverted functions and types. As Jung said, these types use one of the same four kinds of functions as their default way of engaging with life. But instead of being drawn outward by data, values, sensations, or possibilities, they're drawn inward to these things. Uh, we'll start with the introverted thinking function, or TI. TI arranges ideas into a logical framework like TE, but unlike TE, it doesn't focus on objects, but on an internal sense of logic. In Jung's words, TI formulates questions and creates theories, and it opens up new prospects and insights. TI plays with ideas with impeccable logic. This makes it great for navigating a physical environment, debating, categorizing, defining, and strategizing. But even if the logic is valid, the conclusions may not be consistent with objective data, as much as the person may want it to seem that way. TI still needs to be adapted to the facts to be most useful. A.J. Drenth points out that TI may be considered Raymond Cattell's fluid intelligence, or 
the capacity to problem-solve that responds flexibly to new situations. At its best, TI can help us find logical inconsistencies. At its worst, it creates conspiracy theories or bizarre explanations that are consistent with a few facts, but not all of them. Dominant TI types are either quirky and eccentric or quiet and withdrawn, and are more focused on their own ideas or projects than the people around them. They have trouble understanding people and feelings, while they are excellent at dissecting ideas and formulating theories. People who use TI see the world around them as full of objects to use to accomplish goals, which makes them excellent at using tools, but can lead them to seeing and treating humans as objects if they're not careful. Those who use introverted feeling, FI, have the opposite problem. They tend to see agency everywhere and think of the rocks, trees, and stuffed animals as sentient beings, which makes them empathetic, but sometimes overly so. My TI type students are fun to talk to and can be quirky and expressive like any types, or they can be laid back and withdrawn, uninterested in homework unless it lets them do art or work with their hands. Interestingly enough, SE types who develop TI as their second function, something we'll talk more about in the next lecture, but those types are actually the dominant types in society. And so using TI as the way to engage your mind is seen as normal, even if TI types who do that primarily and are not primarily extroverts still seem quirky, weird, or different. Some fictional examples of the TI type would be Oz from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and James Hurley from the Twin Peaks series, as well as the character Garrett in the sitcom community. Our next introverted function is the other introverted judging function, FI, or introverted feeling. FI represents internally focused values, so the sense of right and wrong, which a person has subjectively based on their own internal value judgments. FI often draws away from the world because it forms in us a high ideal of goodness and purity and wants to avoid being tainted by the external things. Unhealthy FI leads to a complete withdrawal from the physical world, viewing it as impure, or else a fear that the external world has the same harsh standards and judgments that the FI type has for themselves. The FI type tends to be reserved, chooses a few close friends, family members, and interests to delve into, and spends all of their energy on that. FI types lean on their own personal tastes and values, and may not be able to explain to you why they find something beautiful and something else disgusting. It's just the way that they judge it to be. They try to avoid extreme emotions, but can become irrationally upset if their standards are violated. FI ideals can usually not be expressed in words, but rather in art. FI types may be highly creative in art or other expressions like writing, but will usually be very hesitant to share with anyone. They don't want it to be defiled by touching someone who doesn't understand it, or they don't want it to be imperfectly expressed. They, they want it to be a perfect value in their mind, and expressing it in the physical world would just be too difficult. However, in my experience, FI types can also be loving, dedicated, and idealistic, believing in the good of human nature and the potential for peace and love to conquer evil. They don't usually get involved in causes, but they do develop a perfect ideal of beauty and goodness in their minds, which a privileged few of their friends may glimpse in their art and more likely in the lives that they live. My FI type students are sweet and kind people willing to push themselves to reach an ideal of goodness and sometimes extreme empathy, but afraid to share their ideals because they are certain that they will offend others. Take, for instance, the principled Democrat in the school full of Republicans, or the devout Christian in a school full of secular atheists. 
They often struggle with depression and anxiety, but they also put great care into everything they do, and they deeply value authenticity over impact and taking action. Some fictional examples would be Frodo Baggins from Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, Pam Beasley from The Office US, and Belle from the 1991 animated version of Beauty and the Beast. Our next function is the first introverted perceiving function, introverted sensation, or SI. SI represents the personal impressions that we bring to our experiences. It reaches back into our memories and calls up the most meaningful experiences for us when we are in similar situations. Jung describes SI like the individual style of each painter, painting the same scene, but portraying it differently. For the SI type, familiar objects, places, and people have strong appeal because they activate their memories of bodily experiences. They tend to be calm and passive, uninterested in affecting the physical world, just experiencing it. SI types have a general sense of the good or bad in a person, place, or experience without really being able to articulate why. They can be like institutional canaries in a mine shaft. If they're flocking somewhere, we know it must have something good about it. While if they're fleeing somewhere, we know something must be wrong. For example, few SI types that I know of get involved in political participation or the finance industry nowadays. And perhaps this is evidence that there's something wrong with the way that we're doing both of these things. In addition to this, SI types often enjoy family history, studying biographies, learning about historical events or artifacts, and looking at photos. They tend to be non-confrontational and want to be left in peace to contemplate their memories, although they can become angry when they feel threatened. I know uh, family members who are SI types who are unwaveringly loyal and supportive in their quiet, humble way, which seems bumbling and inelegant by the world's standards, but which is refreshingly sincere to me in our overproduced world of SE polish and glitz. SI type students are generally quiet and reserved, concerned about being a good student and not offending people, but also less ambitious or interested in rewards. Some fictional examples would include Samwise Gamgee from The Lord of the Rings, his Game of Thrones equivalent Samuel Tarly, and characters such as Edward Ferrers from Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. The last function that Jung mentions is introverted intuition, or NI. This is my dominant function, so I have a more intimate understanding of it than any of the other functions. NI represents insight into the patterns of the universe that is spontaneously revealed to the mind through unconscious processes. When insights appear, they come without warning, as if there was a computer behind the scenes that was churning through all of the information that the person was taking in, looking for patterns, and then projecting them onto a screen. The person understands the insight, but not necessarily the steps leading up to it. NI is the function that Jung most closely associates with the archetypes, or images, of the unconscious mind. These images, which he claims that humans have evolved to know how to deal with various situations throughout the evolution of life, describe recurring patterns that can be applied to current situations. By sensing these patterns, an NI type can understand connections between seemingly unrelated events or ideas, and also how to solve intractable problems. For NI types, he says that images acquire the dignity of things, or in other words, ideas seem more real than physical experiences. Just like a normal person, an SE type, will say that concrete experiences feel real and appear to their senses without them willing it, these images of the unconscious mind feel real and appear to NI types w without us consciously willing them to. 
When an NI type like myself is working with ideas or reflecting on insights, this process of revelation feels more real and emotionally impactful than interacting with people, sensations, or anything else. NI types have little consciousness of our own bodies and can neglect eating, social interaction, or physical activity in general when we're caught up in the ideas of our mind. Jung describes NI as prophetic vision, the ability to see patterns that are happening and predict the future. NI types naturally find beautiful ideas in our minds and want to stay there to reflect on them. We naturally function best when we can repose in our minds, think about things, and then command the external world to organize these ideas for us. I sometimes think that my ideal career would be to be like the ancient Christian philosopher Origen of Alexandria, to have a legion of scribes writing down my words, letting me dictate my insights to them so they could help me organize them and present a finished product. Who knows, maybe with uh, AIs in the future, we will get to that point. Some NI types stay in our minds with our beautiful visions, but many of us realize the moral implications for them. In other words, we realize that our thoughts and insights diagnose what's wrong with the world, describe a path to a better world or better human lives, and that we have a responsibility to share this message with others. We often adapt our own lives to these standards that we have in our minds rather than adapting to the world around us. Uh, so it can be hard to put our ideas into practice, and we have a hard time expressing ourselves. If we don't trust in our unconscious processes, NI-types can become jaded and disillusioned when our ideas are rejected. This can lead to us becoming obsessed with fame and glory and control, trying to remake the world in our image for humanity's own benefit. You may rest assured, however, that since NI-types are so socially awkward, ineloquent, and generally clueless about the persuasive arts and the general trends of the times, as well as how to actually implement our visions in the physical world, you don't really need to worry about an NI-type dictator rising to conquer the world. The SE-types are the ones you should worry about for that, perhaps those following NI ideals. On the other hand, if NI-types trust in our inner visions and speak them to others without worrying if we'll be rejected, we can find our purpose and become our true selves. Jung says that because NI and SI-types are so absorbed in our minds, we're perceived by the extroverted world as being the most useless of men, but that if people looked deeper, they would see our true value. Some fictional examples include Abed Nadir from Community, L from Death Note, Rupert Giles from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, and Severus Snape from Harry Potter. So those are the eight Jungian psychological types. As Jung says, however, no one can be healthy and use only one of their mental functions. We all develop a second function of the opposite attitude to balance out our lives, to engage with both inner and outer aspects of experience. Join me next time as I explore how Jung's concept of mental functions, and in particular, a tiny three-page section near the end of his 500-page book, spawned the Myers-Briggs types and a whole industry of personality typing. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time. You can also find me on my website, harrisonpaulauthor.weebly.com, my Amazon page with the hashtag own voices introvert fantasy series Cabri vs. the Angels, my occasionally updated Facebook page, Harrison Paul Author, and my mostly neglected Twitter feed, H. Paul Author. <laughs> Again, thanks for listening, and best of luck to you on your own psychological journey of discovery.